A key component of the modern world economy, the chemical industry delivers products and innovations to enhance everyday life. It is also an industry in transformation, where chemical executives and workers are delivering growth and industry-changing advancements while responding to pressures from investors, regulators, and public opinion. Discover how leading companies are approaching these challenges here on The Chemical Show. Join Victoria Meyer, president of Progressio Global and host of The Chemical Show, as she speaks with executives across the industry and learns how they are leading their companies to grow, transform, and push industry boundaries on all frontiers. Here's your host, Victoria Meyer. Hi, this is Victoria Meyer. Welcome to The Chemical Show. This week, I am talking with Jennifer Abril. Jennifer is the president and CEO of SOCMA, the Society of Chemical Manufacturers and Affiliates. In this role, Jennifer has been really laser-focused on showcasing SOCMA's position as the primary hub for the specialty sector. And prior to SOCMA, Jennifer was president of the International Fragrance Association, North America, and she also worked with the American Chemistry Council. So Jennifer and I are going to talk about SOCMA, specialty chemicals, and a lot of other good stuff. So Jennifer, welcome to the show. Thanks, Victoria. I'm so excited to be here. I am so glad that you're here as well. So let's just start. Tell us a bit about you. What's your origin story? How did you come to be working in the chemical industry and specifically at trade associations? Great question. Thanks for asking. And it's funny because I had no expectation that I would be working either in chemical industry or for trade associations. It happened to be one of these stories where you start networking with people and you fall into a role and life takes you on your journey. So many years ago, early in my career, I was working for a lobbyist here in Washington, D.C. I was in charge of coalition building and the American Chemistry Council was a big part of several of the coalitions that I ran and they expanded their international department. And that's when I had an opportunity to join them. And I focused on product stewardship and public health issues internationally in some of the global activities, regulatory and public health side for a while. So I was there for eight years and then came over to SOCMA for three, had an opportunity to run the Fragrance Association here in North America. And I spent eight years doing that. And then I had an opportunity to come back to SOCMA and it's been a great homecoming for me. That's neat. In fact, being able to come back into an organization doesn't always happen. So it's nice sometimes to be able to do it, go off, get experience, and then come back and bring those new insights back in. I used to tell my staff at Fragrance that there's really only two positions that I'd ever leave there for, and one of those was SACMA. So really an opportunity, and I was thrilled to be able to come back. That's awesome. That is really cool. So tell us a little bit about SOCMA, because I think a lot of people don't necessarily know much about the organization. So SOCMA, we're now in our 101st year of being. Last year in 2021 was our 100th anniversary. And we were founded in 1921, primarily by specialty chemical manufacturers who were trying to protect the industry during wartime. A lot of it had to do with trade policy and tariffs. So we had a very specialized need to protect the industry. Fun fact, our very, very first meeting, we were addressed by Herbert Hoover, who was Secretary of Commerce at the time. And his pitch to industry at that point was that the government was looking for more trade leagues, or as they called them at the time, now trade associations, 
to kind of have a point of contact for each industry. And so as Secretary of Commerce, he was asking trade of different industries to form trade leagues so they would have a single kind of unified position for each industry. So we had our first meeting in 1921 at the Hotel Washington across the street from the U.S. Treasury Building. And we've been in existence ever since. And so to this day, trade is one of the stronger areas that we work on. That is really interesting. I'm going to circle back. It's prompted a question, but I'm going to hold it for a little bit. Since you've been back at SOCMA, you've driven some major transformations, including acquiring some other trade show, which I don't often hear that happening with trade associations. So what prompted that and what does that do for you? Another great question. So one of the things that I think I didn't appreciate the first time that I worked at SOCMA was how vital SOCMA's role was to being that connector for the industry so that contract manufacturers and especially chemical manufacturers could really be able to find clients. We were not really aware at the time as a staff of how vital our contribution was. For 20 years, we ran a massive trade show called Inframex. And honestly, it got to be all-consuming as a project for the association. And we had an opportunity to sell it. And for a number of reasons, it made sense at the time. But what we found was that that left a very big hole in our value proposition and also how we interacted with the industry. It took us a long time to realize that because we had... The group we sold it to, which is a conference organizer, had turned the focus of the show into more of a pharmaceutical type life cycle. They put together different smaller trade shows that they bought and kind of formed it into what is now CPHI North America. But that really changed the focus of Inframex. And while we had still a loose affiliation with it, it really wasn't satisfying the primary membership of the association. So a number of different opportunities, but really what we realized was that we were standing on the sidelines where the industry was asking us to be part, again, of the commercial lifeblood of helping people find each other. Once we did some research and validated that as a primary value proposition, it changed everything. Once we started bringing back the idea of how we could help make matches industry, that's where I think we've found our stride again. We've always been very strong on advocacy. As I mentioned, that was the reason that we started was government affairs or government interaction. That's always been a strength for us. But there's nobody else in the industry that really holds the place that SACMA has held in facilitating commercial connectivity in such a way where we can be objectively helpful, but we can really lean into the trust that the industry has with us and try to make sure that we help find that business partner that's the needle in the haystack that's going to make the projects run. So I attended the conference in March, and that was really my first time being there and really first real exposure to SACMA. And it was eye-opening in terms of just who the participants were, and the fact that people were genuinely there to find and make connections. And I think I come from the bigger part of the chemical industry, Shell and Clarion and Lionel Bissell. And so I didn't have a full appreciation for just how the specialty and custom manufacturing worked and what it really was and really the need that it fills in the industry. It's tremendous. So it's a whole sub 
part of the industry that really is, is not very well understood. If you really think about it, I mean, some of the major multinationals, they just don't have the assets that they can dedicate towards specialties, small volume materials that are so vital to making the products work. So our industry, the contract manufacturing component of this is really almost ghostwriting so much what's happening out there in the ecospace. And it's really an exciting, dynamic, really always ever-changing part of the industry. But unless you really understand it and know it, you can miss it. Yeah, I could see that. In fact, I had a conversation just this morning with a client who's a large multinational who is entering a new product area with a new product. And I said, you're probably going to need to find a smaller tier player, formulator, et cetera, to start with, right? Because you can't necessarily launch a new product into a giant formulation, a giant customer, a giant market until you've kind of gotten your proof of concept and started developing it sometimes at a smaller scale. And I know that's a role that SOCMAS members often play. Absolutely. So in many, in so many instances, almost universally, the people who are working in the SOCMAS membership are actually former employees of large companies. They just have a certain entrepreneurial spirit and they get to touch and be much more sort of engaged in the, in the lifeblood of the chemistries that they're producing. And so it's exciting for a lot of folks who cut their teeth, some of the larger companies, but they get that autonomy and that real entrepreneurial spirit to shine through in some of the, the smaller companies that they lead. Yeah, I've definitely seen that. So Sakma recently published your strategic plan. What are the highlights of that? So our last strategic plan, we set three primary pillars for the association. So the first pillar is around commercial connections. So that's commercial networking. The second pillar is on manufacturing and operations. The third pillar is on public policy. And those three really are the areas in which we do all of our work. Everything lines up underneath one of those pillars. So what we also think about is actually icebergs. So for each pillar, we think about an iceberg where the industry can know us and interact with us and see the part of the iceberg that's above the waterline. And that there's a whole number of supporting structures underneath the waterline that are available to members only. So taking the commercial element, the commercial pillar as an example, what the industry can interact with us on, and we hope that they will, and we want to grow it, is our new trade show, as you mentioned. So that's the part of the commercial pillar that sticks up above the waterline. But underneath of that, we have a whole host of tools and services that we try to accelerate industry awareness of our members and their capabilities. We have searchable databases that talk about each member's capabilities and competencies and equipment and certifications and things like that. We also use our own brand to help elevate the brands of our members. And then we also have a matchmaking service. So we'll work with some of the companies that are potential customers that are looking for a contract chemical manufacturer or toller or a specialty chemical manufacturer to do work with them. And we will actually work with the potential customer to try to do a project scope 
and then feed it out to our supplement manufacturer members and say, who can do this project? That project's going to get done. And we want a SACWA member to be able to buy for that. I think it's pretty unique, right? When I think about, certainly at least in the chemical industry, trade associations, having that depth of relationship and knowledge and business development opportunities with their members. And that's exactly what I was referring to earlier in our conversation, which is when we sold our trade show the first time, we didn't realize that we were selling sort of this unique position that we had that where we could be really helpful in facilitating and accelerating bringing product to market, right? Help these partnerships find each other. And I don't think at the time we had other tools to support that, but I think at the time we thought it was just simply the show. Now it's a much more holistic way that we approach 365 days a year, helping partners find each other. And so do you have to be a member to use that matchmaking service? Or is that something that non-SOCMA members can come to SOCMA and say, hey, we need this type of a service? Do you have members? Is that how that works? You don't have to be a member to use the service. What we feel is it's a member value for you to be able to see the projects coming in. These warm or even hot leads and what our members get as a member of SOCMA is a first look at that and a curated project scope that saves them time to see whether or not this is something they'd like to actually learn more about. Interesting. And are people taking advantage of it? I mean, is business genuinely happening with it? We have a lot of repeat customers that come back. There's no fee for use of this service, which we really see as a benefit for our members' advantage. We have a lot of repeat customers who use the service, and we launched it about two and a half years ago, and we are above 100 requests. So we're in the early 100s, the teens of projects that we've facilitated so far. And we've got some stats on it's everything from bench scale all the way up to a certain number of metric tons. So it really runs the gamut. But really, it's a helpful way to source new project partners. That's very cool. That's a great service that you're providing the industry, not just your members, but really the industry. So what are the other two pillars? So you talked about this commercial connection pillar. Yep. The second pillar is around manufacturing and operations. We're very excited about this too. So a couple of years ago, we revamped and really modernized chemical operator training tool. And again, that's the part of the iceberg that sticks up out of the water for the industry. So we relaunched this. It's called ChemOps Training. And it is a multidisciplinary animated opportunity to bring new operators. Primarily, it's built for operators. could be used by anybody, really. Actually, one member told me that they wanted to bring their CFO, who is brand new to the chemical industry altogether, and expose them to what's happening on the plant floor that would be very different for them. So we have animations of standardized equipment so that operators, new operators can understand what's going on behind the scenes on the equipment that they're using, assessments of the tool, assessments of each of the different areas of learning. So it really is working very well for either a training system, if people are unhappy with theirs, or sometimes when you have a spin-off that doesn't have yet a training plan in place. This is a great one to start with off the shelf. 
But really what makes it unique and dovetails nicely with ones that are really already established is this idea of animations for the equipment. That's really, really unique and something that has been very favorably accepted by the industry. So they're really excited about that. We have about 50 facilities right now that are using our ChemOps training tool across the country. So that's the industry lead on our manufacturing office pillar. And then the third one's around public policy. And that's all things advocacy and compliance support. In the iceberg arena of public policy, we are holding a conference this fall, which we have relaunched, which will focus around regulatory and safety topics. And so that's open to all industry. And it's going to be a series of either workshops or best practice sharing sessions. We'll have our performance improvement awards hosted at that event this fall. So we're really excited about that. And so when we look across the calendar of how does SOCMA kind of organize our interactions with the industry, our commercial pillar and our executives, that's what our trade show, our new trade show is built for. And then in the fall, we're doing our fall summit, and that's on our manufacturing ops and our public policy pillar. So we're really pulling those two groups together. That's good for GMs and plant managers and safety professionals and regulatory professionals. We'll have a lot of interactive and really hands-on discussions of topics that are hot right now. And then we're excited about our trade show that's moving to Nashville in 2023. That's exciting. And Nashville will be fun. Nashville's a fun place to visit. It is a hot place to visit right now. And so we're really excited about being there. We think that's going to be really exciting for our attendees. Something a little bit different. We've been in Texas the last couple of years, but we're going to give Nashville a try. That's awesome. When we talk about public policy, is there any really hot topics at the moment that you guys are working on? So yes, we're always concerned about and focused on tariffs. So that is an area where we continue to follow what's happening. There are some discussions about potential removal of the Chinese tariffs that has come up. We are always focused on trade policy. We're also very, very interested right now in making sure that new chemicals can get through EPA review quicker. They are not meeting their statutory deadlines, and that is really problematic for a lot of companies. We've been voicing these concerns to the agency. In fact, just yesterday, we had the head of EPA's division that is responsible for new and existing chemicals address our membership. And she understands that they are not meeting their deadlines. And while somewhat apologetic, she considers it to be a resource constraint that they don't have enough people to review. However, it doesn't make a difference there's a statutory obligation for them to meet these deadlines. And so we're really pushing hard to make sure that they quicken the pace because we've got a lot of new chemistry in the works and it's really kind of slowing the innovation pipeline. And we know that specialties are the area where all the innovation is happening. Absolutely. In fact, this is not a political podcast, so we will stay away from that. But it has been interesting to observe What's really a need, right? So if I think about the innovation that's needed, we need these innovations to hit sustainability targets, for instance, which, of course, our government really wants, other governments really want, companies really want. And yet there's also a stifling of that innovation when organizations such as EPA and other government agencies are not 
facilitating and enabling the process to happen. So it's kind of a conundrum, really. It's a bit of a conundrum right now. Certainly when I look at and I talk to people about what's going on in energy transition and energy pricing and the fact that, hey, we need more feedstocks and, oh, but you can't have a permit to do that. There's a lot of conundrum. We need the innovation in the chemical industry to meet sustainability targets and just to continue to grow and evolve. And yet we're not getting EPA approvals and other approvals. So it's a dilemma. So this is maybe a good segue for me that I'm coming back to my earlier question, which is you have been working in industry associations now for most of your career. How have you seen the relationship between government and the industry associations evolve? So I think it's interesting that you said that Hoover, who was Deputy of Commerce at the time, helped kick off SOCMA. And here we are a hundred years later. What's the relationship or how have you seen it evolve? There has been an evolution. I think it goes in cycles. When I first came into the industry, I think it was a little bit more, gosh, the only word that comes to mind is acrimonious. So it was a little tougher dealing with each other at the time. The way that everybody dealt with each other was to try to, where to bring lawsuits. So NGOs would bring lawsuits against EPA. Industry would bring lawsuits against EPA. And that was one of the tools to kind of get them off the mark or make them do what they said they were going to do. Then we went into a period of real negotiations and there was dialogue for some time. And then different constituencies enjoy the ears of different administrations. I think industry got locked out for a few years. And now I think in the post-COVID environment, it's really hard to influence because regulatory staff are not sitting in one place. We're all still working from home. So you're almost sort of pushing a string, right? We have one conversation with one person. There isn't sort of this team orientation back at headquarters of a regulatory agency that kind of gets together to identify the ways to solve an issue. So it's almost sort of individual one-on-one persuasion. And we see that a bit on Capitol Hill. We also see that in the agency staff. I think we have lost the ability, and I think whomever is trying to lobby for a position lost the ability to use the concentrated group of ears at once. And I think it's just an interesting new challenge. You have to do much more sort of one-to-one persuasion. That's interesting. I hadn't thought about it that way. So I think that's really interesting. And especially since from a business perspective, even though people are, many companies and individuals are still working remotely or hybrid or whatever environment they're in, we're also really accustomed to being able to pull people into a virtual meeting room to engage. And it's certainly not as fluid, right? Because you can't have those side conversations easily. You can't, crosstalk doesn't work as well. And let's just be honest, that happens in a real in-person meeting. We have a lot more dynamic than we do virtually. But I would assume that our agencies were figuring out how to work and adapt and be responsive in a more collective way as opposed to an individual way. Maybe I don't mean to overstate it too much, but just to say maybe that I think there's a hesitation, maybe a little less comfort with risk or decision-making because they're also understaffed. Right. You have none who have retired. That's always an issue. Government agencies is retirements. And so that brain drain really hit hard. And so the fewer employees that are left that have 
less comfort with making hard choices, hard decisions. I'm thinking right now about new chemicals. They're really sort of hesitant to make an affirmative confirmation that this chemical can go to market, right? So there's a lot of, can you give me more data? Can you give me an extension? Want to think about it some more. What about this potential scenario? So there's a lot of what if that continues to happen. And all that what if and discomfort with making a risk determination and an affirmation means that industry sits and waits or continues to have to respond to the what ifs. And so that part is, I think, playing in. So, yeah, it's real that they are understaffed. We're all having that trouble and the government is, you know, immune to that either. But unfortunately, it's causing delays for us. Interesting. So I'm going to turn the conversation here a little bit. Let's talk about leadership because I think it's unique to be in a role such as you are as leader of an industry organization where I know you have your staff, but your constituents and your members cover a wide range of companies, very different agendas. And yet you need to create alignment as you've obviously created alignment, for instance, with your strategic plan. How do you do that? How do you get alignment across such a diverse organization of member companies? It's not easy. It takes a lot of listening. It takes a lot of pulling themes. I think I was fortunate to have had the position early in my career to be in charge of coalition building because I think I honed those skills early and I didn't realize I was building them. But what is, I think, unique about SACMA is that each company is similarly situated, but we don't have that much direct competition with each other because even when you get down polling capabilities, you might have somebody who has a reactor that's the size you need, or but somebody else doesn't, right? So there's oftentimes just nuances that make very few for very few direct competitors. And when you find the direct competitors, you have to navigate that very carefully. But what that means is, as an industry group, we, Stockma staff, have to be really, really aware of the themes. So it's our job to listen between the lines and to figure out what is it that we can be doing to support the specialty and contract chemical manufacturing sector, even when they don't specifically know how to ask us for that. So our job is really to listen, interpret, validate, and then be smart enough to give it back to the industry as a, we heard you say this, we've acted, And now we're providing you that solution that you didn't even know how to ask us for, but we heard you. That's interesting. Fascinating. It's good consulting skills as well. So (laughs) you've got it in spades. So maybe let's talk a little bit about being a woman in leadership. This is such a male-dominated industry. We know that. I think the industry knows that. As a woman in leadership, and I think I heard you guys talking about it at the last event I was at, that there's more women than men working in the organization. How do you find it being a woman in leadership in such a male-dominated industry? Has that been a challenge for you? I think the thing that is more of a challenge for me is that I don't have a science background. I have a business background and I have a nonprofit management background, which makes me well-positioned to do the job that I'm doing. 
But not having the science background, I find to be more of a challenge for me personally than I do being a woman. I've also been thrilled with how much the industry has embraced me with open arms. And that part has been wonderful. The great thing is that I see every year more and more and more women coming to our events, being promoted, being accessible and available to participate on our board. So I'm optimistic. I think there's a lot of really smart women that are contributing to this industry, although perhaps the chemical industry in itself doesn't necessarily have a magnetic pull for women as much as it does for men. I think we're on the right track. So I feel good about that. Awesome. That's good. That's helpful. That's great perspective. So what is next for you and SACMA? A busy year, but a good year. So what's great about this is we're getting back on the road. My travel budget is back in action. (laughs) So that's great. We've been excited to be back doing the same kinds of touch points in person that we were doing prior to the pandemic. So we've already had one member roundtable in the Chattanooga area shortly after our trade show. We're doing another one in Houston in um, mid-June, and then we're going to be in the Spartanburg, Green, Greenville, South Carolina area in the fall. And also I'll be in Ohio. So really starting to make the rounds again, excited about that, really bringing together members in the same area to talk about what's going on, business conditions, how's the supply chain, what are you seeing in terms of staffing in this area, and really just trying to hit on topics that are top of mind. So that's really exciting for us. We're excited to be back on the road for that. And then launching headlong into preparation for our 2023 show in Nashville, which is going to be held on March 1st through 3rd, 2023. Awesome. Sounds like a busy year ahead. Well, I appreciate you taking time to join us today. It's been great talking with you and learning more about you and more about SOCMA. So thank you for joining The Chemical Show. Thank you so much for the invitation. I really enjoyed it. Absolutely. And thanks to everyone for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode. We've come to the end of today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and want to learn more. Simply visit thechemicalshow.com for additional information and helpful resources. Join us again next time here on The Chemical Show with Victoria Meyer.